All right, all right, all right. It's been like a month and a half. It's been a really long time. Well, you know. Apologies. It's all my fault. It is all Kristen's fault, and I blame her 100%. It is 100% her fault. Well, um, April was a shit show. Well. (laughs) It was definitely different. I swear to God. I think I traveled more than half of it. If I had to say the amount of time I spent places in April, I'd say number one would be traveling, number two would be work, and number three would be home. Which was hardly at all. I I hardly saw you last month at all. Yeah, you're number four. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. It's just the way it happened, man. Yeah, hey. It happens. You were busy. I was here doing nothing, so. That's busy-ish. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brittany. I'm Kristen. And this is the All Things Strange podcast Yay. where we talk about strange shit. Just anything that we think is strange. And this week, we're talking about con men. Yeah. Because, like, what goes on in their brains, like, to make them so smart to be able to pull off these things for so long that they're in, you know, history, quote unquote. Do you think that sometimes people are so smart that they're dumb? I think that they think that they're so smart that they're bored with like just normal human life things Mm -hmm. and so they're like well what can i do to be a little bit different i know let's swindle all these people out of a whole shit ton of money so then i don't have to do anything except for read i just mean like in general it's almost like uh the smarter somebody is in an area the more they have to take from another area so um that's true so like if you are like an engineer i don't know i know a few engineers and they're for the most part very weird (laughs) with very few social skills so it's almost like the brain capacity is only so much and so they have to like take away from one area to supplement another that makes sense i can i can see that i um i'm just dumb so (laughs) i just roll with the punches i wouldn't say you're dumb you shouldn't say that well i'll say what i want okay garbage (laughs) garbage garbage Anyway, so yeah, this week we're doing con men. We've each picked our own con man. Yes. And we both also each almost picked the man who technically coined the word con men, confidence man, but neither of us picked that, which was really hilarious (laughs) that we almost did. I feel like we should start a condom (laughs) company called Conmen Condoms. Oh my gosh. We would have so many lawsuits because of all the pregnancies because they'd be like, you conned us. (laughs) <laughs> it'll be like the emperor with emperor with new clothes but for condoms so when you open it it's just empty hey because it's a con con man condom okay i like it um would it be like kind of like trojan man but con man and we'd like have like some sort of mobster as our as our mascot yes <clears throat> it's like an air guitar yes okay that's real right of course all right i mean they do have they do have competitions for Air guitar players. You think they can have competitions for our new product? No. Well, they could. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So do you want to go first? Um. <laughs> sure. Okay. Common. Um. I had a few guys that was in mind. Did you hear that? I did hear that. It hurt my ear a little bit. A little. Let's see little if I can bit. do it again. No, don't. <laughs> it was really weird. Anyways. Um, I had I had a few that I was like having a hard time mm-hmm. choosing between. Um, bef- and I had thought for a while there. Um, because at the last episode we decided we were doing con men for the next episode. Right. And like the next day, I thought I found my con man, and I was like, Yeah, this guy is perfect. This guy is perfect. And then I just got to sit on that for six to seven weeks because you know you were busy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden last night, I changed my mind. 
Ooh. Yeah, so I was going to do Soapy Smith, mm-hmm. who was the guy that did the, the dollar bills and hundred dollar bills and mm-hmm. the soap and things like that. Because I love that kind I of stuff. Like, hey, him. try this hair tonic because it's going to change your life. I and it's find like too much on him, though. I couldn't either. And that he was, was the original snake oil salesman. Yeah. And I like that kind of stuff. I think it's I think it's hilarious. <laughs> like baggers. from um like from uh, Sweeney Todd. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the newer one. I don't know about the older ones. I've seen anything like that. Okay, tell me your con man. Okay, um, this guy, he's extremely famous, and he's still living today. Really? He is. Fun. And they based a movie off of him. Ooh. <gasps> Ponzi? No. Oh. Better. The Wall Street guy? Um, nope. You know the movie, Wall Catch Street? Me If You Can, with Leonardo DiCaprio? I almost picked him! Yes, Frank Abagnale. Abagnale? Oh Abagnale. Abagnale. No, Jeremy almost had me convinced to pick that one when, right before I chose Sophie Smith. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. you know how much I love Leo. Yes, you do. <laughs> Anyways. And um, he played, he's the one that played this Frankie guy. Frank Abagnale. It's A-B-A-G-N-A-L-E for those of you that are interested. Abagnale? Um, he's Abagnale. French, so I'm going to butcher some shit. Okay. Cool, because I'm totally American. <laughs> it, I, you know, it's okay to be I don't American. need no French. That's fancy shit. Oh, my God. My husband would be so proud of you. Thanks. <laughs> He's rubbing off on me. Apparently. Mm-hmm. This needs to stop. Redneck. I should divorce ass him. <laughs> fuck. Yes, redneck ass fuck. But he likes to think, he likes to take one S off there and say redneck as fuck. But we really know it's ass fuck yeah we just add the extra s and everything's fun yeah it's great okay it's a party <laughs> okay so his name is frank william abednall jr yes and um he's an american he's like like i said he's still living and he was um he's a former confidence trickster check forger and imposter between the ages of 15 and 21 was when he did most of his bad shit no yeah like He's like, okay, well, I guess I'm done with puberty now. Might as well straighten out. Or it's just like, as I'm going through this. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of the most famous imposters ever. And um, he has assumed no fewer than eight identities, including an airline pilot, a physician, a U.S. Bureau of Prisons agent, and a lawyer. What? Yes, he escaped from police custody twice. Gotta give him props. Before he was 21 years old. Oh, my God. And, and then he served in prison uh, less than five years before he started working for the federal government. And uh, so now he works for the government. He has this whole fucking firm. Well, you know the government. They're just all those shady people anyways. Right. So, but he's Jesus like. Christ. Yeah, look at his picture. He looks like. He looks like a normal human being. He looks like somebody you trust. He kind of. No, he kind of looks like. Um, what's that one movie? Um, Freeway. With uh, Kiefer Sutherland, and he was a freeway murderer guy, and that kind of he kind of looks like Kiefer Sutherland. But he kind of looks like halfway between Kiefer Sutherland murder? and Donner, Donald Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland and and Dahmer is what you no, said. No, Donald, because <laughs> you said murder. <laughs> be, between Ooh. Kiefer Sutherland and Donald Sutherland. He really likes people. <laughs> <laughs> They're tasty. <laughs> Okay, so as I said, um, his uh, <clears throat> his life story, it inspired Catch Me If You Can. If you've never seen it, it's really interesting, especially after you hear about this guy, because it really only just touches base on all the shit that this guy got into. But he's very, very fascinating. Um, 
He was born on April 27th, 1948. He's one of four children and spent the first 16 years of his life in New Rochelle, New York. His mother and his father were both French and they separated when he was 12 and divorced when he was 14. And his father was very affluent and he was really big on politics and theater. And he was also a big um, role model for Frank. Um, so if you think about that, politics and theater. Yeah. Perfect con man, like perfect storm. There yeah. you go. So his very first con, this is fun. He was 15 and the victim was daddy. No. Yeah. <laughs> so his dad, he was very affluent and he gave him a gasoline credit card and a truck to assist him to commuting back and forth to work. And in order to get date money, Frank, he devised a scheme. A scheme? Is it scheme? A, a scheme. scheme. Okay, so I a read scheme. a lot, and so I, like, I this pronounced a lot of things. That's okay. No, it's scheme. 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 I learned something new. Okay, so he used the gasoline card to buy, so he would, like, you know, buy uh-huh. tires, batteries, and other car-related stuff at gas stations, and then return them. For cash. Oh. And then his dad was liable for a bill worth over $3,400. Oh, damn. And he was only 15 at the time. (laughs) Yes. Wow. And so one of his early tricks included writing personal checks on his own overdrawn account and uh, a bank. And so this, however, it would only work for a limited time before the bank demanded payment. So how he got around with this was... To open other accounts at different banks and eventually creating new identities. Whoa. Yeah. That's like getting really like integrated. Like I wonder mm-hmm. if he like started doing it and then at some point realized, oh shit, I'm like way too far into this. I might as well just keep going. Oh no, he didn't stop there because over time he started experimenting more. And so he started developing different ways to defraud the banks. <laughs> um, he'd print his almost perfect copies of checks such as payroll checks, he'd deposit them, and then he would encourage banks to advance him cash on the basis of his account balances. Oh, my God. Yes, and another trick he used was to print his account number on bank deposit slips and add them to the stack of real slips in the bank. Yes. So that meant that whenever customers would come in and write their stuff, it would actually have his name on it. So they were just randomly putting money into his account. Excuse you, we're busy here. Can you hear Sorry, my guinea pig is very rude. She sounds like a pig. (laughs) Okay, so um, in a speech later on in life, Avignal, he described an occasion when he noticed a location where airlines and car rental businesses, like Hertz, United Airlines, they would drop off their daily collections of money in a zip-up bag and then deposit them into a drop box on the airport premises. So, using a security guard disguise, he bought at a local costume shop. He put a sign over the box saying, out of service, on a drop box. On a drop box. <laughs> place deposits with security guard on duty. I, yes. How did I, and then he would oh collect the money. God, that was such a different time. Later <laughs> on, he would be like, I don't understand how that works. I can't <laughs> believe it because how can a Dropbox be out of service? Yeah, exactly. But people were dumb enough. They're like, oh, Dropbox out of service. Here you go, security guard randomly. <laughs> right? I guess people back then were just like way too trusting. Uh, well, it wasn't that long ago, though. Well, it's still not today. Like the way things are today. 60s? Yeah, that's, that's true. That's the 60s. Everybody was stoned. Come on. <laughs> and if they weren't, they should have been. If yeah, that's true. That's, I agree. A lot of the wor- problems in the sixties could have been solved if just everybody smoked pot. Mm-hmm. Everybody. Yes. 
it would have been so much easier. So much easier. Okay, anyways. Okay. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Just, just that alone. And then, but he had, and then he started getting into impersonating people. And he decided that he wanted to fly throughout the world for free. So, how do you fly throughout the world? You become a pilot. That's right. So, he became a pilot. <laughs> and so, what he did is how he got a uniform is he called Pan Am. And he told the company he was a pilot working for them, but he had lost his uniform while getting it cleaned at his hotel. And he obtained it. From a fake <laughs> with a fake employee ID number. How I don't know. He figured out how many and what their yeah what their method That's like was. Some beautiful mind shit. I know. <laughs> and then he forged an FAA Federal Aviation Administration's pilot's license. And so Pan Am later on they estimated that between the ages of sixteen and eighteen, he flew more than. One, one is that one million miles? How many commas are there? There's three, two. That's, that's, that's a million, million miles on more than 250 flights and flew 26 countries by D heading. And um, as a company pilot, he was also able to pay for to stays at hotels for free during this time. Oh my god! Everything from food to lodging was billed to the airline company. Oh my god! <laughs> All he had to do was sit up in the cockpit and act like a pilot. Or just be like, hey, I just need a ride to this other airport so I can fly that plane over to this mm -hmm. other airport. But really, each time, he was just getting on the plane to go to another airport. Do you think he borrowed those fly. wings that they used to use little kids and looked all official and shit? <laughs> Me. <laughs> He's like, hey, little kid, give me your wings. <laughs> so, Abagnall, he stated that he was often invited by actual pilots to take controls of the plane in flight. On one occasion, he offered the courtesy of flying at 30,000 feet. And he took the controls and enabled the autopilot. Very much aware that I had been handed custody of 140 40 lives, my own included, because I couldn't even fly a kite. Oh my god! It <laughs> is terrifying! Mm -hmm. This one's fun. He decided to become a teaching assistant. He claimed that he worked as a socio sociology teaching assistant at BYU, Brigham Young University, oh, cool. for an entire semester <laughs> under the name Frank Adams. Uh, BYU actually disputes this claim. Well, mm -hmm. you know, it's a thing they dispute everything this they one's, this one's fun he uh became a physician for 11 months <laughs> Dude, all. that mole is totally cancer yeah no, that is. broken bone that checked out that broken bone totally cancer <laughs> you stubbed your toe cancer <laughs> like, yeah, all of it it's cancer what the fuck? as he's puffing on a cigarette so he impersonated a chief resident pediatrician no. in a georgia hospital under the alias frank williams Oh my God. So he chose this course after he was nearly arrested, disembarking a flight in New Orleans. Afraid of possible capture, he retired temporarily in Georgia. <sighs> when filling out a rental application, he impulsively listed his occupation as doctor, fearing that the owner might check with Pan Am if he wrote pilot. <laughs> after befriending a real doctor who lived in the same apartment complex, he agreed to act as supervisor of resident interns as a favor until the local hospital could find someone else to take the job. The position was not difficult for Abignall because supervisors did no real medical work. Thank God for that. Right. He just supervised them. Jesus Christ. And I mean, when, when you reach, you know, residency, you know a little bit, so you don't need much supervision. Well, but there's like, some program, programs where the supervisors mm -hmm. still work as a doctor. Yeah. And they're still giving exams and things like that. Holy shit. Well, you want to know how he was almost, like, found out? An infant almost died from oxygen deprivation because he had no idea what the nurse meant when they said that they had a blue baby. 
Oh my God. Yeah. So he's able to fake his way through most of his duties by letting the interns handle the cases coming up in his late night shift and setting broken bones and other mundane tasks. He set broken bones? Um, no, I think that the interns did. I think okay. he was just like, you take care of that. And then he lost, uh, and then, so that's when he left the hospital was after the baby incident, because that's when he realized he could actually put people really at risk. Okay. Because until then it was just like this fun game. He was this young kid. It was all before he was 21. Imagine, he was probably 19 when he did this. Yeah. But can you imagine like all the interns and residents that like worked under him, like, and how he kept passing things off on to them. Like, they were probably just like, who the fuck is this guy? Does he ever work? I don't think so. I think that they, um, as a supervisor, it's your job to manage and to allocate jobs. Maybe. And so they were just like, okay, I'll do it. And he was just really organized and knowing who he told <laughs> to do what. I think he was just fucking brilliant. Jesus Christ. Um, what he also did was, as he was an attorney for a while. Oh. Yeah. So while posing as Pan Am First Officer Robert Black... Abignall forged a Harvard University law transcript, <gasps> passed the Louisiana bar exam. Oh, my God. And then he got a job, not just as an attorney, but the, at, the, at the Louisiana State Attorney General's office at the age of 19. Oh, my God. He, he must have read a lot of books because bar exams usually aren't mm-hmm. that you know hard to pass. So why he was a... Uh, a pilot he dated this flight attendant briefly and he told her that he was also a law a harvard law student of course he did and she introduced him to a lawyer friend and he was told that the bar needed more lawyers and was offered a chance to apply and then after making a fake transcript from harvard he prepared himself for the compulsory exam despite failing twice he claims to have passed the bar exam legitimately on the third try after eight weeks of study because louisiana Louisiana at the time allowed you to take the bar over and over as many times as you needed. It was really a matter of eliminating what you got wrong. Oh my God. And think about all that legalese. You know what I mean? That is like, that's some difficult language to decipher. Like I look at some of the stuff and I'm like, even like in news articles and I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Because they're using, you know, terms that were taken out of, taken out of like court documents or you know, things like that. And I'm just like, I don't know what any of that means. And then I go to Google it and try to figure it out. And I feel even dumber because I can't even understand the description of what it means. Well, he started working at the attorney. Well, excuse me. So at the state attorney general's office. And he described his legal job as a kind of like a gopher because he was entry level. So he'd uh-huh. fetch coffee and books and um, also, but a real Harvard graduate worked there and so he started asking Abignall about you know his tenure at Harvard and what went on and um he couldn't answer any of the questions <laughs> of about a university he never attended so eight months later he resigned after learning that that same man was making inquiries into his past oh no yeah so like calling up Harvard and like hey who's this guy yeah like what is what is this guy's <clears throat> credentials yeah and so he was eventually arrested in Montpellier Pen- Montpellier how do you say that? Mm. I see the word all the time in France. M-O-N-T-P-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-R-E-
12 countries in which he committed fraud saw extradition. Oh my they God. All wanted a piece of this <laughs> That's dude. So fucked up. <laughs> so after a two day trial, he served time in uh, a Perpignan prison, a one year sentence that the presiding judge on his trial reduced to six months. That's nice. Yes. And in this prison, he was held nude in a tiny, like, dirty just like no lie in his cell That's and he was nice. never allowed to leave um the it didn't have toilet a mattress blanket food and water were very restricted but he didn't have the basics like that it was awful. like medieval shit and he was eventually taken over to um sweden he was treated, treated more humanely under swedish law and during his trial for forgeries the burns attorney almost had his case dismissed by Defense attorney. <laughs> was it just deference. deference. You know, he deferred. Deference. He deferred. He decided he wasn't going to do it for now. Deference. <laughs> but he almost had his case dismissed by arguing that he had created the fake checks and not forged them. But So he created them. He didn't forge them. Yeah, he, he created that. them. So the defense attorney got some deep shit over that. But his charges were instead reduced to swindling and fraud. And then following another conviction, he served six months in another prison, only to learn at the end of it he would be tried next in Italy. And (laughs) so then later, a Swedish judge asked the U.S. State Department to revoke his passport. And without a valid passport, the Swedish authorities were legally compelled to deport him to the United States. So they kind of did him a favor. Yeah. Yeah. And Jeez. in the United States, he was sentenced to 12 years in federal prison for multiple counts of forgery. That's it. That's all they could get him on. So basically, you do whatever the fuck you want, and it's just forgery. Yeah. Well, no. Not like rape and murder and shit, well, no. but you know. No, but I mean, as far as like fraud goes. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Um, I, I think it would have been like, uh, like when he was a doctor or pilot, I think it would have been a lot worse if people died. But since nobody died. Mm-hmm. But that's still scary. That is still scary. So um, he... Escaped a couple times. I'm just going to kind of go over those. (laughs) Okay, so while he was being deported to the U.S., um, he escaped from a British VC-10 airliner as it was turning onto a taxiway at JFK. Um, Under the cover of night, he scaled a nearby fence and hailed a cab to Grand Central Terminal. And after (laughs) stopping in the Bronx to change his clothes and pick up a set of keys to a Montreal bank safe deposit box containing $20,000, Abignall cr- caught a train to Montreal's Dorville Airport to purchase a ticket to Sao, Sao Paulo, San Paulo, Sao, Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo, Brazil. After a close call at a Max Milk, he was apprehended by a constable of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police <laughs> while standing in line at the ticket counter. Abignall was sub- subsequently handed over to the U.S. Border Patrol. <laughs> then, in 1971, he escaped from a federal detention center in Atlanta, Georgia, while awaiting trial. And basically, he considers this to be one of his most infamous escapes in history, or one of the most, not his. But during the time, U.S. prisons were being condemned by civil rights groups and investigated by congressional committees. And a stroke of luck that included the accompanying U.S. marshal for getting his detention commitment papers. Abignall was mistaken for an undercover prison inspector who was given privileges and food far better than the other inmates. Oh, no. Yes. The Federal Department of Corrections in Atlanta had already lost two employees as a result of reports written by undercover federal agents, and Abignall took advantage of their vulnerability. Oh, my God. Contacted a friend. 
who posed as his fiance and slipped in the business card of Inspector C.W. Dunlap of the Bureau of Prisons, which she obtained by posing as a freelance writer doing an article on fire safety measures in the federal detention centers. She also handed over a business card from Sean O'Reilly, later revealed to be Joseph Shea, the FBI agent in charge of Adenau's case, which she doctored in a stationary print shop. <laughs> <laughs> So, Gotta go to steamroller real quick. <laughs> so, adding all what he would do is he'd be like, "Here's my business card," and they'd be like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, he's got a business mm-hmm. card. It must be legit, right? And then he would tell them that he needed to contact the FBI agent that was in charge of his case, Sean O'Reilly, as a matter of urgent business. <laughs> yeah, and so what he would do is he would call this friend Jane Sebring instead because she altered the phone number to be her phone number on on the card on the card. Yes, and. Well, it wasn't even her phone number. It was a payphone at an Atlanta shopping mall. Oh, even better. So yeah. So she, you know, wouldn't have been there and, and somebody else could have picked up. She would be posing as a operator of the FBI. And later... <laughs> so basically, he conducted that he needed to be meeting with this FBI agent. But real- reality was he was just planning his escape. Yeah. And they just took off and... There he went. And then, so he was actually still in town waking his way to Brazil. And he was fit, picked up a few, few weeks later by NYPD detectives when he inadvertently walked past their unmarked police car. And they recognized him. Oh, my God. See, so if he yeah. was down in Georgia and he was still intent on going to Brazil, what was he doing back in New York? Well, he went to New York because I think that you could be a little bit more anonymous in a bigger That's international true. airport. That is true. Unless you have a really he famous probably, face like his. He probably had a lot of money and stuff stashed there, too. Probably. Because he had that one safe deposit box with 20 grand in it. There's, um, you always hear these stories of, like, safe deposit box and boxes and, like, those lockers at um, subway stations that people mm-hmm. just stash money there and keep the keys on them. Yeah. It's like, okay, well. I don't know if that's. I don't think that would be a reality these days, but back in the day. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I don't want to keep my money in a place where a guy's going to be shitting in a box next to it. <laughs> Just a oh thought. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought. No, um, I, I, but I think back in the day, like, up until, like, the 80s, that was an okay thing for oh, people to think to do. his family was in New York. That's right. Oh, okay. That's okay. So it wasn't about the money. It was about the blood of his family. So, he served less than five years of his 12-year sentence. That's it? After That's the it. escape? After everything. everything? Jesus. He's a goddamn genius. And, oh my God. Yep. And so, the government, they released him on the uh, condition that he would help the federal authorities without pay to investigate crimes committed by fraud and scam artists and to sign in once a week. And unru- unwilling to return to his family in New York, he left the choice of parole up to the court and was decide- decided that he would parole in Texas. <sighs> Yeah. And um, he tried numerous jobs. He tried to go legitimate. He was a cook, a grocer, movie projectionist. But he was fired for most because he was hired without revealing his criminal past. Oh, and then they yes. figure it out. And they're like, wait a minute. But he was extremely unsatisfied. And he approached a bank with an offer. And what he did, this was fucking awesome. He explained that he what he had done to the bank and offered to speak to the bank staff and show them the various tricks that paper hangers use to defraud banks. His offer included the condition that if they did not find his speech helpful, they would owe him nothing. Otherwise, they would owe him five hundred dollars, 
with an agreement that would provide his name to the other banks. And with that, he began a legitimate life as a security consultant. Wow. Yes. So he later founded Abignall and Associates based in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it advises companies on fraud issues. Um, he also continues to advise the FBI, with whom he has associated <laughs> for over 40 years. Oh, my God. And he teaches at the FBI Academy and lecturing for FBI field offices throughout the country occasionally. And according to his website, more than 14,000 institutions have adopted Abagnale's fraud prevention programs. (laughs) Yep. And then he, in 2012, he went below, before the U.S. Senate, and he talked to them about the vulnerabilities of senior citizens and how it's easy to fraud them, uh, particularly stressing the ubiquitous use of social security numbers for identification, including on Medicare cards. Yeah, that one's a big one. Yeah, so, I mean, I could go on more about this guy, but people have, like, refuted a lot of his claims within this, and I have to, like, say thank you to Wikipedia, because this is pretty much where I got all my stuff, but (laughs) um, he... Yeah, so people have been checking in on it, and his response is um, that nobody's going to admit it because they're embarrassed. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really true. He said, due to the embarrassment involved, I doubt anyone would confirm the information. Especially BYU. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that is absolutely insane. Yeah. So, Frank Abagnale, Abagnale, that junior, junior, everybody, he was really interesting. I saw that movie, like, when it first came out, and I found it to be really fascinating. I've still never seen it. It's good. Now that we talk about him, we should sit down and watch it one evening. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it next weekend. Yeah. Okay. Wait. No. No. Can't. We won't. Can't. Ugh. Balls. Well... That's okay. We'll figure it out at yeah. some point. We'll, we'll watch it at some point. So maybe we'll make the kids watch it tomorrow. Just Ooh, because yeah. we can. <laughs> yeah, because tomorrow for us is Mother's Day. Yay, madre. Yay. Um, <laughs> and we're both moms. Yay. We've both shoved kids out of our vaginas. Yes, we did. And we've been raising them. So we deserve the world. And you mm-hmm. know what our world was today? We're kid farmers. We shopped for over eight hours. It was fucking And ridiculous. it was not like the good shopping. Like, hey, look at this new oh pop God, that I got. Oh, my God, so cute. And this is like, oh, my God, we're broke. We have to hit up oh, every sale for God, food. I know. So, oh, we found me in end tables at the thrift store after we went to another store, which was so much cool. Um, definitely <laughs> an upgrade. Yep, Definitely. Definitely an upgrade. Um, and then we went to Albertsons and stood around for 30 minutes while we waited for the meat because they had a really big meat sale going on and they were running out of meat. <laughs> then we went to Walmart. Yep, and I was oh, going to wait too. I was like, bitch, I came here for meat. Yeah. We'll wait. Buy one, get meat. three free on steaks. Right? Come on. Dude, I'll pay 30 bucks for four packages of steaks. Yeah, no doubt, right? It's, it's amazing. <sighs> And they're the petite sirloin steaks. We're such so good. <laughs> you understand this, right? I don't want to be a grown-up. You're adult. You adulted the fuck out of today. Dude, you know what? And once a month, I will adult the fuck out. But the rest of the time, I am a child, and I will walk around playing Pokemon Go. I will have my Game Boy, and I will eat cookies for dinner. 
Once a month, I will be an adult. Oh, yeah. I remember there was times when my kids were little. I didn't feel like making dinner, so I just made them popcorn. <laughs> I was like, here you guys go, dinner. And they're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. They were pretty happy with it. Why not? It's okay sometimes. Every now and then with Ariel, like on a hot day or something, when, you know, she's been being so good with her attitude and everything, I'm like, let's have ice cream for every meal of the day. And, she's and like, it's her favorite day. And it's, she gets so excited. She gets so happy. Ice cream for breakfast. Ice cream for lunch. Ice cream for dinner. Ice cream for snack. Ice cream for dessert. Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's do it. Let's just let, again. My mom used to do that kind of stuff every That's now cool. and then. Not very often. Like maybe once, twice a year, we would have just an all-day ice cream fest. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, it was just it was really nice. So, are you ready for my con man? Yes. Are you sure? I'm, I, I don't am know. So if ready. Handle this. I don't know. So, hold on, let me take a drink here. Okay. Um, and apparently my cat's trying to invite herself in. She's pushy and adorable. I love her. She's such a dick. Oh my god, I can't handle her sometimes. Okay, so my con man is Victor Lustig. Lustig? Victor Lustig, born in Austria-Hungary and like 1890 was known as the man who sold the Eiffel Tower. Yes! Twice! I read about him. Twice! This guy's nuts. Oh my god, he sold the Eiffel Tower twice. Yes, he did. <laughs> Is he the same guy that sold other monuments? No, that was the guy that in New the York, Brooklyn. the Brooklyn Bridge, that was another guy and I okay. almost picked that yeah, guy too. Yeah, he was interesting as shit too. Um, I think that was like William Abernathy or something like that. Yes, yeah. it was. It was something, yeah. I almost picked him, but this guy, he had he had a few really good cons, and I was really like into it. I was yeah. like, yeah, this guy, this guy knew exactly what was going on. So, um, he was born in on January fourth, nineteen eighty, and he was you know born in Austria Hungary when it was like still a joint nation, whatever. And then his family ended up moving out west, so he spent you know time all over the place. He was fluent in a lot of different languages, which really helps when you're you know pulling mm -hmm. these cons all over the world absolutely um he some of his earlier scams they didn't really go much into but he spent a lot of time on um ocean liners between um new york and the atlantic ports of france mm -hmm. and so he would con people while he was on the on the liners, which is That's, pretty ballsy. It is, because you're stuck with these people on For a boat. a long time. I mean, those things didn't move very fast back at the time. You're just on there for a long time. So it's like he almost made a long game out of it mm -hmm. on each trip, which is cool. So one of his scams was a money printing machine. Wow. So he I would, want one. He would basically have a small machine and show people that it would counterfeit money. He would use a $100 bill. So he'd put the $100 bill in there. And it would spit a hundred dollar bill out, and he was like, "But the only thing is, oh, in order yes. for it to print, it would take like you know six hours or something." So he would have these boxes already all loaded up with hundred dollar bills, with blank pieces of paper after it, and so people would put their hundred dollar bill into it, and it would like spit out a couple after you know. 12, 18 hours, and then all of a sudden after that, it would just start spitting out these blank pieces of paper. And by the time people realized, you know, they were paying more than like $30,000 per machine. That's what you get for being a crooked-ass motherfucker. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> what are they gonna do? Turn me in? Exactly. But so by the time like they realized people that called 911 because they got bad weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So the, by the time the people figured out that it, it was a, they'd been conned, he was long gone. 
you know, what that's like genius. 12 to 18 hours that they had plenty of time. And Dude, he must have fucked with some high-ranking people to pay 30 grand. Well, like in, in New York in the time, too. Well, it would be a lot of gangster people with, like, gang affiliations yeah. and politicians. And it was crooked. Exactly. And it was just like, it, oh, my gosh. It was just, I wrote, like, this whole big paragraph on it. And I just decided to paraphrase it because it was just fucking hilarious. And I just wanted to talk about it from my heart. I okay. like it. From my heart. Um, so he, he went on doing that for a little while, but then he kind of like moved on with his life. And so moving on to the Eiffel Tower scam, um, in 1925, you know, post World War One. Yeah. Stop drawing on I'm my sorry. pillow. Are you drawing dick? I'm not drawing a dick, but I'm drawing no, the you, word. No, you're drawing the word dick. Yeah. God, dick. <laughs> Anyways. Um, post World War One, there was a newspaper article in France, in Paris, describing the problems the city was having with the upkeep on the Eiffel Tower. You know, the cost to keep it clean, to the painting. You know, just all around. Mm-hmm. You know, they still weren't. It was booming again. It, it was, but and they weren't booming back up yet from after the war. So they were just like, uh, well, we're not sure. We're gonna write this article on it and see, and blah blah blah. So this like sets his brain into motion, and he's like okay, I can work with this, you know? And so he goes to, you know, Paris and all that other good stuff. Um, so, oh, one thing. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> She's watching the waveform. Like um, anyways, st- stop. <laughs> <laughs> the waveform did, in fact, look like a penis. <laughs> Anyway, so the Eiffel Tower, just real quick on it, it was built for the, what was it? They, they had a word for it, essentially. It was just like a world's fair. The 1889 Paris Exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, something they built as an archway into the fair. And they Which didn't, is crazy. I know. It's fucking huge. I know. But they didn't plan on it staying because it didn't fit in with the other buildings and monuments. It was just something totally different that they totally just did for this fair. I wonder when the last World's Fair was. I don't know. Because they sound boring. They they sound like fun. I don't know what you're Do talking about. Do you really about. think so? Yeah. It's like not rides. You're. They have a Ferris wheel sometimes. Although, I, in all fairness, I will not ride rides at fairs. I don't trust cars. Oh. <laughs> Anyways. Sorry. So it was built as an archway for the 1889 Paris Exposition. They had planned, when they built it, they had already planned on tearing it down by 1909. Wars happened, right? Is that about the time they World wanted War wanted to tear down they the Eiffel Tower? They wanted to tear down the Eiffel Tower by 1909. That was the plan. Uh, they're late. It's tw- it's 1925. <laughs> no, but at that point it was 1925. Why are they now? They're still late. Yeah, they they're still late. It's still there. Um, Those French people. So, but they, you know, the war happened. They didn't have the money to tear it down. So, mm-hmm. Victor Lustig, he saw this as an opportunity. He went and um, he found someone to forge fake government stationery, and then he invited six. If I could talk, six scrap metal dealers to a secret meeting place, Ooh. or to a secret meeting. So he made it sound the, all exclusive. Yeah, at the Hotel de Creon, which is a ritzy place, like one of the highest. Is it still there? I don't know. I didn't look that part you up. Should that'd be fun? Um, but basically, he told these guys that they have the option to put in a bid for tearing it down, um, and they would basically pay the city to tear it down, and then they would use that money to get the scrap metal money whatever anyways mm-hmm. they would get money for the scrap metal there we go 
brains. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. So they were like, okay, well, I'll pay you this much and then I'll get this much profit. And so, um, da, 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 da. Uh, he had introduced himself as the deputy director general of the Ministry of Posts and Telegraphs, which makes absolutely zero sense to me because that's mail. That's not anything to do really with tearing down the Eiffel Tower, right? Right. So that's just one point. Um, he told them that the but that their reputations of honest businessmen were why they were chosen. So he's like kind of almost flattering and flattering. Yeah, sir. exactly. Um, That's how I used to tell people on my dates. He used the excuses of the upkeep on why it needed to be torn down, but that that they needed to keep it a secret until everything was finalized because Mm -hmm. they didn't want to cause an uproar just in case. Um, He then took the the businessmen to, in a limousine, he rented a limousine. He took them to the Eiffel Tower so they could do like a maintenance tour. Yeah. Um, Wow. How did he get access? I don't know. He just like looked official. I guess. Much other official businessmen. I, I guess. Well, you know, terrorist problems weren't a problem back then. So they just went around all willy-nilly like they're supposed to. <laughs> willy-nilly. <laughs> You're willy-nilly. You're a um, wet willy-nilly. So while these six businessmen are trying to, you know, go around and inspect it, he Victor kind of used the time to, like, watch them and see who was the most, like, enthusiastic and gullible. And so he sets this, his sights on this one guy whose name was Andre Poisson. Poisson? 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 Poisson. Anyways. Like, um, croissant. Yeah. Croissant. Get a croissant. <laughs> so, Andre wasn't this... Stop. <laughs> Andre wasn't this, like, you know, major scrap metal dealer. He wanted to break into the big game and be mm-hmm. up there with all the big guys, but he was still pretty lowly. And so, um, he was thinking, you know, on the basis, like, hey, this is going to be my breakthrough. This this could be it for me. This could right. make, make business boom and everything. Oh, dude. Um, but that's who Victor chose. He chose Andre. And, um, do, 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 do. um, so he tells the guys, hey, you, now that you've seen the, the tower, you've gotten your inspection in, you've gotten a good look at the metal, I want your bids in by tomorrow. And so, um, Andre goes home and he's telling his wife about this because, you know, it has to be mm-hmm. a secret, but you can at least tell your wife, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> Um, she was suspicious mm-hmm. about like the time frame and the secrecy and everything, and so she they, she's smart. Yeah, she was smart about it. They started bringing up questions and things like that, and Victor just basically told him like, "Hey, I'm just trying to find a way to um, work myself up to a more like lavish and comfortable to me lifestyle, and so I'm using this to supplement my income, and that's why it needs to stay kind of secret." And Victor, you know understanding like the dealings of like with bribes and things like that he kind of understood and so he kind of just left it at that and was like okay and the wife apparently had no more to say on it so they just went along with it um so andre gave victor the money for the eiffel tower uh victor gave andre the quote-unquote deeds to the eiffel tower to start tearing it down Took the money and ran. Hell yeah. With his assistant, who was also a con man. His name was... He had a couple of different names. Robert Arthur Torbill... Torbian? Or he was also known as Dan Collins. (laughs) Those are very different names. I know, I know. So were they lovers? No, I think they were just friends. No, because... Just listen. I'm not done. 
That's only the first time he sold the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> you guys can see my face right now. <laughs> she's so disbelief. Yeah, she's just like, no, he, they're, they're totally doing they're it. They're doing it. <laughs> Together. They're butt doing it. They're butt doing it. Um, he, yeah, he took the money and ran with um, his secretary, Dan Collins, and they went off to Vienna. Like, they grabbed the money and the briefcase. They hopped on a train right then and there and went to Vienna. Um, I guess Andre was so humiliated by what happened, he didn't even go to the police. He didn't do anything. He was just humiliated and out a lot of money for supposedly by Well, it would secretly get around um, to the other businessmen, um, which would ruin his reputation. Yeah. Adds business. Oh, he got fucked. He did got, he he got seriously fucked. Poor guy. I know. I I feel really bad for him because all he wants to do is, you know, like be a big name and be a big contender. Should have listened to his wife. Yep. Should have. But it's hard when, you know, the wife has problems and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got this con man telling you, no, everything's okay. Okay. And apparently he's really charming too. So, so, um, where was I? So they flee, they've got the money, whatever. Um, Oh, and because nobody ever complained to police, nobody, like, there's no charges, there's nothing. So, Victor and Dan Collins went back to Paris one month later. Oh, my. One month. Oh, my God. They tried selling the Eiffel Tower again, but this time the victim took the counterfeit paperwork to the police before the deal was closed. And Victor and Dan did manage to evade arrest that time. Whoa. So it's the second time they tried to sell the Eiffel Tower. Like, it was almost a completely done deal, and then they almost got busted. Holy shit. Yeah. A month. That's really ballsy. Like, Dude, that's, like, more than ballsy. That yeah. is just straight up insane. Like, maybe wait a few years in between so people can kind of forget your face a little bit. I don't know. That's just me. That's how I would do it if I was selling the Eiffel Tower. So this Tower. was happening in, you said, 1925-ish? Yeah, 1925. Wow. And Paris was like a big, it was a very booming city at that point. There was a lot of art. Yeah. I believe that's when they had uh, a lot of the writers, American writers living in Paris at that point. Um, That was a really interesting time in Paris. It was. And just, I don't know. It's just, that was just so crazy to me. Like he fucking sold the Eiffel Tower twice. (laughs) Fucking twice. Like one, I'm like, yeah, all right. But twice. Like I'd like to see go see him go back and do it a third time. Because that is incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> I'm just like trying to absorb it. That's really nuts. Um a few years later, Victor was in the US and gained the trust of none other than our dearest Al Capone. Yeah. So Mr. Syphilis Brain himself. <laughs> he persuaded Al Capone into giving him fifty thousand dollars for a stock deal. Um, Victor put the $50,000 in a safety deposit box. How do you even go about making friends with a crime boss? I have no idea. I wasn't there. <laughs> what? I wasn't even talking about your friends. So anyways, he takes the $50,000, puts it in a safety deposit box, and doesn't touch it for two months. He Two months later, he takes the money out. He gives it back to Capone and says, the deal fell through. Here is your money. Capone was so impressed that with his with honesty. his with his integrity not his honesty his integrity that capone gave him five thousand dollars like oh i guess you're an okay guy here's five thousand dollars um and so he did like a little bit of mobster stuff with al capone for a while that's cool um 
Damn. Where was I? Uh, a few years later, so a couple of years later in 1930, Victor started working with Tom Shaw, who engraved the plates used in making and or used in making counterfeit money. So oh. that's cool. Uh, together, they organized a counterfeit ring to circulate the forged money throughout the country. Victor and Tom Shaw kept it secret by not telling their peons that they were circulating counterfeit money. Yeah, they, just they were just were handing them money and saying, like, here, go spend this, basically. Like, here, I need you to go here and pick up this thing when it was really nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's how their money was getting circulated all the way through. On May 10th, 1935, Victor Lustig was arrested on counterfeiting charges after federal agents received an anonymous phone call from his mistress, Billy May. Billy May is her real name. Kind of like Billy May is the pitch man. I'm assuming it's a dude. It's probably not a dude. Who was jealous when she learned he was messing around with Shaw's mistress, Marie? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> I know. <laughs> Keep it in the pants, man. Oh, Victor. <clears throat> when he was arrested, um, he had a briefcase containing only clothes. But in his wallet, there was a key. He wouldn't tell them what the key was for. Agents were able to trace the key to a locker in the Times Square subway station. The locker had $51,000 in counterfeit bills and then the plates that were used to counterfeit them. Oh, man. Why would you keep those together? No idea. I'm sorry. I feel like that's counterfeiting 101. You don't keep them together. Ever. 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 Like, you print one bill, you run it to the other side of town real quick, and then come back for the next one. And bury the plates. <laughs> Seriously. Or melt them. Ooh. Yeah, melt them. But he might want to use them again. But if you melt them, you can probably use them again, but you or sell burn out on the... Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, so, he was arrested. They found this counterfeit money or whatever. The day before his uh, trial in New York, he escaped. Whoa. What's with these convent escapes? I don't know. That's awesome. He um, was on, on the lam for 27 days before he was captured in Pittsburgh, and he pled guilty in his trial and was sentenced to 20 years in Alcatraz, on Alcatraz, which is weird because this was in That's New York. That's where Al Capone was. Well, this is in New York, and they shipped him across the country. Yeah. To California? Well, that's what they did to Al Capone. He I, died in Alcatraz. That's funny. Well, actually, he started off in another prison, but they sent him to Alcatraz later on, and that's where he died from syphilis. Oh. Side so note. Syphilis. You know, see how that goes back. Yeah, it's just like, I, I something like that when you've got Cyprus. like... But the thing is, is in New York, you've got Sing Sing right there. Yeah. Isn't Sing Sing still open? I think so. Fuck that place. I know, I right? hear not great things. Well, I, all the movies I've seen. It's got like great. negative four stars. <laughs> on Yelp <laughs> and Airbnb. <laughs> oh my gosh! So yeah, he was in um he was on Alcatraz on March or on March on March. Have you ever been to Alcatraz? No, I want to go so bad. Let's go. I went and I did um sorry a little side note. But uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I did the the tour where you have the headset and so you could do it at your own pace. Ooh. You know what's pretty fucking creepy. I want to do the night tour. I had a friend that um, did the night tour recently. Oh my god. Dude, it's kind of dark in there. Like It's also dark haunted feeling. and I want to go. I want to do it's, the night tour. That's what I'm saying. There are certain cells where I was like, eh, yeah. I want to do the night cool. tour and I'll keep a recorder on me the entire time and see if I can catch any voices. While we're there, we should do the Winchester Mansion. Yes! Jeremy's never done it. I did it one time. I'd like to do it in the daylight, but I did the haunted tour and I was a Hell teenager. Yeah. And, but I never got to see it in daylight. We should just go like on a haunted California tour. 
With lots of wine. Yes, all of the wine. We'll just be drunk the entire time. We'll hire somebody to drive us. We'll get an Uber from place to place. (laughs) Okay. Anyways. um, In March of 1947, he fell ill with pneumonia. Ooh. And a couple of days later, at the Medical Center for Federal Prisoners in Springfield, Missouri, he died. Wait, but wasn't he in San Francisco? They sent him to Missouri. They sent him to the medical center for federal prisoners in Missouri. In Missouri, Uh, that must have been hard on him. Yeah, exactly. That's probably why he died. Probably he probably died as soon as he got there. Like, did he go by rail? (laughs) (laughs) How did they get people? I have no idea. So the 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 icing on the cake on his death certificate, he his listed occupation. Was apprentice salesman. What? Yeah, apprentice salesman. That's what they listed his occupation as. The coroner did. What? I know that makes that is like. Is it an insult or is it just ignorance? I'm I I I want to say it's an insult, just from the like dynamics of how things were back then. Yeah. I want to say it's an insult. I didn't realize that they put your occupation on your death certificate. Well, I think you know he was you know he was going for um he was going to jail for counterfeiting. So that's almost like a sale, right? <laughs> Definitely. Def it's totes like a sale. Totes magoats. Totes. So I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of questions about that one, even though it was really well explained. Like You're welcome. <laughs> No. He's interesting. He is incredibly interesting. Because I feel like the Paris isn't even as interesting, the most interesting part. Because I'm really, really big on, like, gangsters, like, mobs yeah. and stuff. I want to know everything he did with um, Al Capone, which I couldn't try- really find any information on. But that's just me with my so terrible his- web sleuthing. Do you-, do you think his partner that was in cahoots with him in Paris followed him to America? Dan Collins? Yeah. Maybe. It makes you wonder what happened to him. Um, he probably died with a shotgun up his butt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially if he went to New York and saw Capone and, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. Was I don't know. That's interesting. I want to know more about, like, his life with his family. He, yeah. Did it, did it say anything about his early life? Like. Not really. And just so talk more about his early cons. Maybe we could go to the Eiffel Tower. His ghost might still be there and we can mm, ask him. I don't think that would be his best. I bet you it would be like. I'm really interested in those money boxes, the printing boxes. I want to know how he made it to where it was like six hours until that came out. You know, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> Unless he was like, okay, let's just wait six hours and then come back to the room. And he would sneak down there and have, have uh, Dan Collins put, you know, spit it out at some point. Well, no, because then he would, you know, leave them to show them that it works. To show them that well, it works. Well, that one time, yeah. But then after that, the two bills that followed, the 200 bills that followed, that came out of it because it would print like two more. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's weird. He's so... He's a genius. He is a genius. He's very interesting. I find that interesting that con men that put that much effort... Um, can you imagine the good they could do in the world? Seriously. They choose not to. What was really weird was I was doing my search for con men's... D.B. Cooper came up. 
Yeah, me too. And I was like, I don't find him to be a Cooper. I mean, he's not really a con man. I think he was he more just of got a away with criminal. something. Yeah, yeah, just just a criminal. It's a heist, heisty. Yeah, he's a feisty heister. He's <laughs> 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 baldy, man. Oh my gosh. I don't know. He's um. Yeah, D.B. Cooper came up in my search as well, and I was like, this is not I mean, correct. when I think of, like, con men, I think of, like, more of, like, a long con. Not like, hey, you're not going to land this plane until I get my money, and then you're going to fly it over here, and I'm just going to jump out. Yeah, to me, that's just like a job. That's like a bank robbery. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. Well, he was really interesting. I came across him for, like, part of a second, um, but... It was just like a quick little burp, and all they talked about was how he sold the Eiffel Tower twice, but I didn't know all that other stuff about him. Thanks, Wikipedia. Which I found to be a lot more interesting than the, than the Eiffel, Eiffel Tower. Tower. And the article on the Wikipedia article on the Eiffel Tower stuff that he sold was mm-hmm. a lot more interesting than I made it sound. But there was just so much to it, and I was like, this is going to take forever if I have to go through all of this. So, but it is, it's really, really interesting. Hmm. What day did he die? I wrote it In down. the 40s? It was, um... So he was born January 4th, 1890, and he died March 11th, 1947. So he even made it through World War II. He was 57. II. I don't math. Sure. 57 sounds good. <laughs> um, so he even made it through World War II. Which is cool. Wow. He saw a lot of change in the world. He saw the Great Depression, two world wars. He saw the Flapper and Prohibition era. So he was really in a time where it was really ripe for... Scams. Con- yeah, scams. <laughs> People were desperate. Wonder, but he was able... He was smart enough to see it. I mean, do you ever wonder, like... Because every time in the world is good for something. Mm-hmm. And I almost wonder what our time is now, but I can't see it. I'm not that involved in different worlds you know yeah i'm not either i i honestly i don't know um i've thought about that a lot and like what we would be different for and so far it's just kids with dumb dance moves (laughs) (laughs) a lot of internet um fraud yeah because things are so insecure right now because humans are not as smart as they give themselves credit for so they were smart enough to create the internet but then they weren't smart enough to create um, the security to go with it. Yeah, and that's very true. But that's also been true for a long time. Ever. Yeah, ever since the internet first came around. But what I'm thinking of is more like decade by decade. I think, and that's what I find scary about humans is that we're so smart and we can create these amazing things, but we would do it without any foresight or yeah. really or care about the foresight of the devastation it can have on either humanity or the world in general. Yeah. And I find that to be really just, that really shows you how unintelligent our species is. Yeah, we It's smart. like we're smart monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We'll create the stuff, but without any... But it's only going to be a short-term thing. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah, this will be great for humanity. In reality, it's just the worst thing that was ever created. <laughs> you know? I don't know. The whole... I don't know either. People are different. Right? They ain't all smart, that's for damn sure. Majority of them are. But. Alright. Alright, well there we go. That Comment. was a hell of an episode. Yeah, that was definitely interesting. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah. That was fun. Um, It was kind of 
Yeah. It was really kind of thought provoking. Like, how the fuck do they, you know, just keep getting away with all in of this? In the moment. Like, they yeah. had to just really, really. They're very quick at thinking on their feet. Mm-hmm. They're adaptable. They're chameleons. Yeah. Conman in general are very fascinating to me. I wish I could be a con man. I'd be rich. <laughs> I wonder how many of them are out there now. I'm obsessed with the internet. Oh, gosh. That prince from Nigeria is making so much money. <laughs> That's funny. Well, hey, thanks, everybody, for listening yep. to us talk at each other for the past hour. Yeah. It's been real. Um, We're going to go take a break and then... Get another episode recorded and out of the way. We're not telling you what it is. You'll just figure it out when it, when we upload it, which won't be tomorrow because that's when this one's going up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks, you guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. It's Brittany here. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to another episode of the All Things Strange podcast. I just wanted to let you know that we are all across social media doing everything that we can to get the word out. We do have our email um, all set up. So if you want to set in suggestions or if we're not on a platform that you want to listen to us on, I can do my best to get us on there. So the email is allthingsstrangepodcast at gmail.com. We are also All Things Strange Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. On Twitter, we are All Strange Pod um, because... Apparently, All Things Strange podcast was way too many letters for that specific platform. I mean, you only get so many. Um, But please, go follow us on all those social medias. I'm going to try to be a lot more active on them because I want to hear from you guys and I want you to, like, see what we're doing all the time and everything like that. Make sure to share the posts with your friends, like, subscribe, rate, comment, be a part of our little family here because we want to grow. We want things to be amazing for you guys. We really do appreciate you um, with our, like, four listeners out there. I know we don't have very many, but it's cool. You're one of us. You're, you know, you're here with us at the beginning. We love you. We appreciate it. Thank you so, so much. And we'll talk to you later.